disappear and identities change Trick or treat. when the ghouls and goblins of our souls are set free to roam the night and scarf candy for the true believers Halloween is the ultimate holiday for me it's the ultimate dork holiday Halloween is for Halloweenies And with that, we are live. Uh, let's see. Let's do speaker view here. Um, yes, welcome to the inaugural uh, weekly uh, liminal stream. I am your host, Keats Ross. This is Pragmagic. Um, and, you know, with that, fellow Halloweenies, I'd like to uh, tell you a little bit about my guest. My guest tonight is a bibliophile big brother bandit of broadcast. In a short whirlwind heat of output, he has managed to produce the, if not one of the, most knowledgeable podcasts about the most unknowable of high strangeness. His what magic of this podcast has become a staple for both neophyte and practitioner of transdimensional wayfaring. Always erudite, gleeful, bubbling at the seams with esoteric gusto. Tonight, he outs himself as fellow Halloweeny and regional manager of the Canadian Spooky Kids, by sharing some of his favorite macabre media for the autumnal season. It is my pleasure to welcome dear friend, Douglas Batchelor to the Liminal Street. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great, Keats. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> That's a hell of a welcome. Thank you. <laughs> of course, of course. You deserve no less. Oh, thank you so much. Those are some ridiculously kind words. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's been uh, I would in 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 my pantheon of podcasters and of people that I glean knowledge from, you've been meteoric. Uh, oh, when did you, you start the podcast? That would have been June tenth of twenty nineteen. Was the very first show. Damn. So, yeah. Congrats. So yeah. It's thank just you. Brilliant. Yeah. No, I've been. It's been a hell of a trip. I I went from looking at my uh, my stats and being like, I got two listeners today to, yeah, just to where it is now. And it's, it's been a hell of a ride. So I'm really just loving every second of it. It really is my favorite thing in the world to do. So, yeah. Well, a major thing that I gleaned from you is uh, you're just, every podcast is so well produced. You're very consistent. Um, it does nothing but grow within this like perfect rhythm. Yeah. So it's, uh, I definitely take a lot of that. Um, well, thank you. But with that, I'm so glad that you're here. Me too. Uh, like yeah, I said, I outed, I outed you as a fellow Halloweenie. Um, <laughs> I'll this, take it. <laughs> yeah, this holiday for dorks, as, as Pete and Pete in the intro had said. Yeah. But uh, I thought we'd go tit for tat. 
Absolutely. Um, so the, the way this will lay out is pretty simple. You know, you give a recommendation, I'll give a recommendation and fun sure. will ensue. Absolutely. No, I love it. It's, it's, it's odd because I want to, I want to maybe couch this is that uh, when your life is Halloween all the time, and I know it sounds a little bit trite to say so, uh, it's tough to try and come up with things that you want to talk about during Halloween because, well, I just released an episode about necromancy. And for most people, that would be one of those forms of magic that a lot of people are kind of a little bit, uh, that's, that's near spooky there. But for me, it's, it's pretty much the, besides Greco-Egyptian magic and, and some grimoires, it's the base level of magic that I do. So when Halloween rolls around, people ask me like, what are you going to do for Halloween? And I'm just like, it's for me, it's always Halloween. <laughs> like I'm, it's every day. It's every day. And so when you ask me to come up with a bunch of, of media books, um, music, this kind of thing, it was tough for me because yeah, you can have all the spooks and the uh, and the vampires and you can have the werewolves and all of that kind of thing. But truthfully, the thing that scares me most uh, are, are things that are somewhat real and in the sense of real being uh, almost banal, but terrifying. So most of my things come from this uh, side of 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 the the spooky. So I'll just put it that way. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I share that same sentiment in the sense that, you know, it, it was hard for me too, because I, as you, you know, I live Halloween every day. So a lot of things are passe to me right. now, you know, and giving recommendations <laughs> for people. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but Halloween is also my anniversary. I, I oh. consider it, I consider it my new year. So it is a wonderful time of rebirth and your necromancy episode, you know, talking about, I, you know, I was talking to uh, Vanessa Sinclair about this and necromancy can be a form of like ancestral magic, right? So yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, Dia de los Muertos, it's all, it's, it's giving respect and love to that other side. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's one of those things where um, the dead, at least in the West, the dead haven't been accounted for, for a very long period of time. And so to bring some of that back, which is what I believe is, is one of the most um, fundamental things to magic, then uh, it's it's such a great way to get into magic and to practice magic is not just ancestors, but the ghosts and spirits of the dead as well. So right. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I had an ex girlfriend ask me once if I was still obsessed with death. This episode <laughs> shall remind her that I am. So <laughs> without further ado, <laughs> if you've got uh, you've got something for me, let's do it. So the first item that I'm going to bring up is a TV show that aired in 1992 on the BBC. Uh, it was called Ghost Watch. And the best way to talk about Ghost Watch is that it was pretty much for a certain group of people. But even when I saw it, it was the War of the Worlds for that generation. Right. British, right? Correct. So it aired, it aired in England in 1992 and aired on Halloween, uh, Halloween night. And it portrayed itself in the way that it was just like a regular TV show, like a TV BBC special about going to somebody's house who said that they had ghosts. 
and they had two young daughters and they, a, a news crew goes into the house and then very strange things start happening. And it's only about an hour and a half long, but uh, it's one of those things that it has this very crafty way of uh, showing very little and just letting the suspense and the terror slowly creep in. And watching it now, it's a little bit like, mm, okay. But back in the day, it certainly terrified a lot of people. And I don't want to give away too, too much. But the show ends in an incredibly terrifying way. And you can understand why hundreds of thousands of people were incredibly upset by this program because it really was, a, for its time, an incredibly frightening show. And if you have not seen Ghost Watch, you absolutely have to watch it. It's, it is one of the best things produced by television uh, in, in any genre. It is a fantastic, fantastic show. Now, you're reminding me because I actually... Uh, came across this a couple years ago. It's uh, it's got some macabre legacy too because I yeah. think it was considered one of the first shows to indirectly kill someone. Like a kid yeah. committed suicide because he was so Correct. freaked out. Yeah, yeah, that's well perfect. Um, yeah. Is what you shared here is a trailer? Uh, no, what I shared was actually the full clip. But uh, oh, cool. I'll yeah. Put it in the yeah, but um, the you can watch a trailer of it, but and you can find copies of it online uh, pretty easily. But uh, definitely watch the full thing. Make sure it's nice and dark, and uh, turn the volume up because the one thing because they're very sparing with visuals, and it's one of those things you can go back and watch over and over again because they they talk about this ghost that they call Mister Pipes. And he shows up in very odd places, like he'll be behind a curtain or he'll be in a, an old photograph or a crowd. But the thing that really gets me is the audio. It's the sound effects that they use from a cat screaming to um, just banging and taps are unbelievably up. Uh, um, unsettling i'll just i'll just say that they're very unsettling so give it a watch it is one of my favorite things ever produced i put the link in the chat so people can check it out i'll make sure as well to uh list all this stuff in the show notes after we're finished because we don't want to reveal everything yet no and i even made it a point because you sent me some links before and i made it a point just to kind of quickly glance because mm -hmm. i want to be surprised and i have already perfect <laughs> um i guess yeah so with that um i think the first thing i wanted to talk about was you know it's a famous mark twain uh story it's called the mysterious stranger okay um and it's in it's in a collection of stories uh actually but this one to me has always been in, incredibly haunting and it's basically you know, the devil, number 44, as he's called, uh, you know, discussing the 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 fates, basically, or like the true underlying nature of humanity. And uh, I had a, uh, uh, a quote here or a little bit of a thing I thought I'd read and I could show you a little bit, too, because there's this famous thing, 1980s claymation adaptation uh, of it. 
and right. it's uh, it's it's very haunting. Um, but I'll just read a little bit from the story, and it's something that you know, as a writer, I, I hearken back to because there's an authoritative stance in the writing. It's almost like, you know, he was touched in this way to dictate the dark and the unnerving of humanity. Yeah. And uh, so I, <laughs> I wanted uh, Mary to play some organ and stuff when I was reading yeah. quotes, but uh, I'll, I'll just give it a go here. Sure. Uh, strange indeed that you should not have suspected that your universe and its contents were only dreams, vision, fiction. Strange because they are so frankly and hysterically insane, like all dreams. A God who could make good children as easily as bad, yet preferred to make bad ones. Who could have made every one of them happy, yet never made a single happy one? Who made them prize their bitter life, yet strangely cut it short? Who gave his angels eternal happiness unearned, yet required his other children to earn it? Who gave his angels painless lives, yet cursed his other children with biting miseries and maladies of mind and body? Who mouths justice and invented hell, mouths mercy and invented hell, mouths golden rules and forgiveness multiplied by 70 times 7 and invented hell? Who mouths morals to other people and has none himself? who frowns upon crimes, yet commits them all, who created man without invitation, then tries to shuffle the responsibility for man's acts upon man, instead of honorably placing it where it belongs upon himself, and finally, with altogether divine obtuseness, invites his poor abused slave to worship him. Awesome. Yeah, that's just a little snippet. It's, it's, it's a really harrowing read, and it, yeah, it's it's almost as treaties on like the maladies of life, you know. I've seen the I've seen the claymation. The claymation is unreal. Um, yeah, so I thought yeah. I'd show a little bit of that. Do it, absolutely. Uh, here we go. Let me know if the sound is okay. Fame is a vapor. The only earthly certainty is oblivion. Welcome to the mysterious stranger. What? What? Hello. Who are you? An angel. What's your name? Satan. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Nothing. Only it's sure a sorry name for an angel. <laughs> Please. Come in. Come on. Amazing. It's like an island. Juicy bat. How do you learn to do that? I didn't learn it at all. It comes naturally to me, like other curious things. Are you hungry? Sure am. What kind of fruit do you like the most? Oranges! Apples? Grapes! Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where'd he go? What happened to him? Peter. Oh, boy. Can we help? You may make some people. I'll make the king and queen. I'm gonna make a soldier. I like that they automatically go for a hierarchical. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Look at that little village. There. Here's a buddy. Now we'll give them life. <laughs> Looks like my pap on Saturday night. <laughs> wow. Look, they're moving. There's like million people. So yeah, a little heavy. Uh, but yeah, I th I think you know during this time the autumnal season is especially like uh, there's there's like a a, a kind of a, a aggressive stance that I take sometimes about you know all the worries and the uh, the stresses of you know this blistering life, and only to know that you know here's the big dirt nap at the end of it and what was it for so yeah. talk about macabre <laughs> indeed Th that uh that claymation i remember seeing it when i was quite young uh, when it first came out it was at a film festival and i remember i just love the idea of a a suit of armor and a masquerade mask but no head brilliant yeah, it reminds me. Well, I'll talk about this later, but the pallid mask is—it's yeah. a, a a thread for some of the stuff that I'm thinking of. Perfect. But you know, a lot of the reason why I wanted you on too is that we're both uh, ex video store clerks. We're yeah. like, <laughs> our our uh, our past was high fidelity, but with films, you know. Very much so. <laughs> So I, I knew getting you on, we would we would uh, hit the tit for tat, the quid pro quo, pretty pretty awesomely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let us uh, let us take another dark journey down the mind of Douglas Batchelor. So the second thing I'm going to suggest is a book called Final Events by Nick Redfern. It is a book that one could very easily, when they begin reading it, say that it is absolute bullshit and throw it aside but hang in there and read the entire thing it involves a group called the collins elite and what they are uh, up to is that they are convinced that they 
there are beings that we could construe as being aliens, but they're actually demons and they have been trying to take over the world for millennia. And what happens is that there is a, uh, a pastor, I believe, who comes to the author and he says that there's some people from the Collins Elite showed me things that I've never seen before, including videos of people's um, hearts being stopped by these demons as they're trying to bring them in. And the Collins elite thinks that they have one over on these demons or these beings, but they actually don't. These aliens or demons are uh, always in the driver's seat. And it goes through a crazy amount of interesting things involving Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons. And again, one could very easily throw it away very quickly. But read the entire thing. Does it make a convincing argument? I'm not sure. But uh, a lot of the things that they talk about in this book, they track in some very odd way. So that would be my second pick, would be Final Events by Nick Redfern. Just read the whole thing. That's all I will say. I will absolutely check that out. It kind of sounds like a serious Illuminatus trilogy. Yeah, yeah, no, it it really does, but it's actually a very, uh, it's a very dour book in the sense mm -hmm. that the Collins elite believes that these things are real and that certain fundamentalist uh, sections of the government has been uh, has known this for a long period of time, and they they think that they're in control and they think they know what they're doing with with what other people consider aliens or alien abductions or visitors in the night, but they're actually demons. The thing that the, in the back of your mind, when you think of a demon, uh, that's what uh, these aliens actually are. I've, I've heard that proposed. Uh, I think more so. And yeah, like evangelistic kind of yeah. uh, connotations or evangelist connotations about, yeah. Aliens being demons. It, what's the joke? Everything's demons, you know, everything's demons, everything's <laughs> yes. demons. Yeah. Oh no, that's fascinating. I'll check it out. Who wrote it again? His name is Nick Redfern. Oh yeah. I know Nick. How do I know Nick Redfern? How do I know that name? He's a very prolific writer. He's written quite a few things. So yeah. Okay, cool. But this is by far his best book. And it's one of those books again, where, um, a willing suspension of disbelief, but also by the time you finish reading it, there's a very big, there might be something here. Perhaps this isn't the entire story, but there are some things that are indeed incredibly frightening. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Please. I guess keeping on with the uh, literature, literature kick, you know, we, I had mentioned the pallid mask of yeah. the Mark Twain thing reminded me of a tether of this other thing that I like to read every now and again, it's, it's kind of a hard swallow, but it's a, a mystical uh, horror show uh, for, you know, the just kind of, it's just languishes in, in the weird. And it was 1895 or so it was written. It's Robert Chambers, the King in yellow. And great, uh, great stuff. Yeah. Great so stuff. what he took, you know, he, he borrowed Carcosa, and Haster from Ambrose Bierce, who's another favorite That's writer right. of mine. 
disappeared very mysteriously. Yeah, one of the most famous disappearances ever, uh, famous for the Devil's Dictionary. Yes, and 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 whatnot. But he took from Ambrose as H.B. Lovecraft took from Robert Chambers. Yes, and so Haster became part of like the Cthulhu mythos and everything. Um, and it was also made. I think it kind of came into the public sphere a bit with uh, the first season of True Detective. Yes. Uh, Because they were referencing Carcosa, which is this mad land. Uh, The book itself is strange. Again, it's another collection. There's a thoroughfare through every story that connects them. Basically, it's this play, The King in Yellow, and the second act makes anyone mad. It's kind of what H.P. Lovecraft took with, you know, Necronomicon or the music of Eric Zahn or whatever. And uh, uh, it's just... I can I can read I can read snippets as if and it's very it's just very musical to me. I love it. And I have another passage here just to give you listeners some insight. Um, I cannot forget Carcosa where black stars hang in the heavens, where the shadows of men's thoughts lengthen in the afternoon when the twin suns sink into the lake of holly. And in my mind, will bear forever the memory memory of the pallid mask. I pray God will curse the writer as the writer has cursed the world with this beautiful, stupendous creation, terrible in its simplicity, irresistible in its truth, a word which now trembles before the king in yellow. So that's that'll that'll transport you. It's a, it's a great work of there's some cosmic horror to it, but it's also you know one of the the progenitate pro, <laughs> one of the uh you know progenitor why, why do i want to say that word pro, progenitor <laughs> is that a word uh one one of the biggest um you know high strangeness fiction mm-hmm. uh to to ever uh pierce the veil it's it was uh it was the antecedent to everything that people like um Algernon blackwood yes arthur yeah. Arthur, well, less so Arthur Mackin, but definitely H.P. Lovecraft. And, yeah. And um, yeah, for sure. We we hear around this time, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, it's a it's a big comeuppance, um, especially, you know, during now and rightfully so. But, you know, to get to the source, you know, Ambrose Bierce and, and Robert yes. Chambers. So. Absolutely. Funny little side story here. Uh, and it's a gentleman I'm going to bring up later. Uh, specifically about Ambrose Bierce, but uh, here in Toronto, where I live, there was a very wealthy, uh, he, a very wealthy man. He got rich by uh, setting up cinemas in, I believe, the 1930s, and uh, he disappeared as well here in Toronto, and very shortly after Ambrose did, and. One of my heroes, Charles Fort, oh, of uh, course. He, he remarked, uh, it's like somebody is kidnapping Ambrose's. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. I, um, I don't remember exactly the specifics of Ambrose's disappearance, but I know that it was highly regarded as, yeah. as probably one of the most infamous disappearances ever still is, I think. Yes, very much so. I believe it was in Mexico, but I, I couldn't be entirely for sure but i mean uh, that's where i'd go yeah (laughs) indeed but yeah it's almost you know it's i think the bibliophiles way of like elvis working at a uh you know a record store in new mexico that's right (laughs) that's our that's our ambrose 
Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So we've got some more through the the Douglas sphere. Sure. So I'm going to bring up uh, a book, and I don't know if you guys can see that. Yeah. Uh, it is called. Uh, hold it back here. The Blind Owl by Sadeg Hedayat. I'm very, probably pronouncing that so wrong. Um, it is a probably the best encapsulation of somebody going crazy, absolutely insane crazy. And it's basically about a man who kills a woman and it haunts him. And the book is literally just him talking and repeating things over and over again. And it is probably than any book I've ever read, one of the most unsettling books, um, merely due to just the way that language is used and repetition and what he says and how he tries to, um, he, he knows that he's going crazy. And uh, it's just his slow descent into complete and utter madness. It's a book where I had to read it in small segments. And maybe I'm, it's not terrifying. I, I want people to realize it's not going to uh, Stephen King shock you, make you really, really scared. It's a slow burner. And uh, when you put the book down, the ideas linger quite a bit. And it's a very short read. But I highly suggest it. And, and Sadeg Hedayat, uh, he he's well known in in Iran, uh, and he died very young. He moved to Paris, and uh, he was very unhappy. And he basically bung closed all the windows, uh, bunged up the doors with towels, and uh, he turned on all of uh, sorry turned on the gas in his oven, and uh, he killed himself. He 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 uh, he I believe it was uh, carbon carbon monoxide no um anyways but uh if you go to his wikipedia page there is an image of him uh dead lying on lying on a bed in a parisian apartment uh so he was a very tortured soul and uh, you can tell that he put all of his anguish uh, in the blind owl and whether or not it's true what uh, what happened in the book uh, we don't really know but uh it's it's definitely one of those books that it's it's tough to read because it's so encapsulates somebody's guilt and madness and lust and just mm, degeneracy i'll put it that way so it's definitely worth picking up well that's yeah for you know for an uplifting book i'll <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds great. It kind of reminds me of a little bit of Nick Blinko, who was famous or not famous because the band was never famous, but he was in a band called Rudimentary Peni. And when he was in the mental asylum, he, he wrote a book and it's, you know, journalistic in the sense that he's kind of confessing a lot of, you know, this just depravity that's going through his mind as a way to, you know, exercise it onto the page rather than, yeah. you know, push it out into reality and, you know me, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So. Absolutely. No, definitely check out The Blind Owl. It's uh, And read maybe maybe read a chapter at a time. Um, Primal because, Screaming, Michelle yeah. Embry. Thank you. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. That's right, I forgot Michelle's an, an old punk. 
There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'll put a link in there too in the chat. Speaking of which, thanks for everyone showing up. Amanda Pomander, Jeremy of the Alchemical Arts, Michelle Embry, Brandon Young. Uh, lots of people. John Aside, Lord Josh Allen, Robin Eaglesong. Thank you guys. Um, hopefully you're having a good time. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, hopefully, yeah, we're going to uh, make your sleep very restless uh, this evening. Um, yeah, I thought, well, let's see. I'm trying to think if I want to move into, yeah, let's move into some, some music. Um, I had, so I, I, I don't know how I got into this rabbit hole sometimes because I have a bunch of, you know, albums on Bandcamp and Bandcamp's pretty famous for having these just absurd genre names, you know, like these, these hashtag or tags for just people coming up with their own ridiculous you know uh uh genres and i've been i've been privy to that very tongue-in-cheek about it but um i uh came across something and it's called death dream and uh i've used it quite a bit it's this it's style of music i've used quite a bit for writing um and you know for a lot of artistic projects if there's any painters or or writers, um, I think you might get a kick out of this because it does hit in a psychoacoustic way. It it rumbles, you know, some 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 detritus in your brain a bit, and it really I find out later that it's a, it's kind of a deconstruction of this idea of vaporwave, and but it's it's dark, and but it's not just dark. It's not just this, you know. Uh, uh, silly just experimental for the sake of being experimental ambient music you know it's uh the albums are anonymous so they're usually by producers uh working under pseudonyms that don't want to be known uh because they're working through things and it's all very narrative it's all very narrative driven every album has kind of a story or a concept behind it and it's uh it's it's quite fascinating fascinating so it's really kind of art for the sake of art and working through it uh without any of the pizzazz of egoic you know wants right, right. um uh my favorite part though is this conceptual idea which i i came into later it was kind of something i stumbled on uh sometimes i'll listen to music when i write and i forget how this came about it must have been just like a youtube playlist or something and I, you know, I look over to my speaker. I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, because it's not just a, um, like I said, it's not just like your run of the mill ambient, you know, music that, you know, no one but Brian, Eno can actually do anyway. But, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's not, it, it, it was, it was, uh, it was, a, it was, it was haunting. It's absolutely haunting. And I thought I could play. I won't play too much because it's definitely something you have to put on and just kind of get enveloped by. Um, uh, but I'll show you guys. Here is the hashtag for death dream. Um, like I said, it's it's taking vaporwave, which to me was vaporwave always seemed a bit um, ironic. It's almost like this, this uh, post-nostalgia kind of driven genre right they take 
and de- but they deconstruct a lot of old songs and make this into this like Windows 95 Lisa Frank universe, you know. And this is them going even further and exploring kind of the darker aspects of of humanity and personal pain and working through things. And this one, especially by this uh, guy called Father. I'm going to see if I can turn it down before I play it. But he or they, we don't know. Um, this one right here is has been just a fascinating... It's made me want to explore more of the like, psychoacoustical aspects of music and producing music because instead of right. it being completely overwrought with conceptual ideas it lets the the story weave through you know sound waves and you find out later what the kind of work was about and there's a lot of people you know deconstructing finding these little tethers and stuff about what it is so this is from this guy or woman person i'm not sure uh it goes by name father which everything is in i think it's korean i'm not entirely sure what the language is but uh so it can go really harsh It's almost like, um, I would say, a constructed sound design. And it is a trans-dimensional wayfarer's dream to meditate to this or to lull to sleep to this. Because it'll take you to aspects um, (laughs) that will shock you. also really fun to read the comments because this music seems to take everyone by surprise and like you can scroll through the comments and it's just like what the fuck (laughs) where where did this come from what is this you know uh and the best part too is people having to copy the song titles because they're in korean so no one you know off the cuff can really decipher what anything is days of using like tape loops and you know being very uh analog when it comes to like ambient music this this really hits the spot give too much more away 
I love it. I absolutely it's, love it. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard to refer this because you know it's not yeah. something you just hear clips of. It's I think this celebrates the album as the album was meant to be made. Is that you listen from start to finish as it was intended, and you go through this you know the sonic thoroughfare that is you know all of the content. So it's it's really fascinating. I think you'll Brilliant. everyone will find something that resonates because, like I said, there's something psychoacoustical about it. It it, it hits a synapse or two uh not commonly exercised yeah so it's it's fun i love it <laughs> i'm gonna check it out for sure yeah. <laughs> it's great so what is next on your list sir douglas so this is one that uh, uh you were considering adding to your list uh, as well but uh, it is a movie i believe it's dutch from 1988 it is called the vanishing uh, it's a it's a narrative movie. It's not a documentary. Uh, it's basically about two young lovers, and uh, they are on a road trip, on a vacation, and they stop at a roadside. Uh, and this is during the day, so there's nothing spooky about it. They stop at a roadside, um, uh, like diner or rest stop, and uh, the boyfriend he waits uh, at the car tells his girlfriend, you know, go in and grab a coffee. I'll meet you back out here. And uh, she vanishes. She is completely gone. And uh, that's how the movie starts. And the rest of the movie ping pongs back and forth between uh, the boyfriend basically trying to find her and putting up posters uh, all around town and being on TV shows. Uh, and this is years later, I think 10, 15 years after the disappearance. And the other part of the movie is it follows a character who is a somewhat normal human being. Uh, he just acts a little bit um, odd. And uh, you're pretty much wondering if this man has kidnapped this woman or, or what's going on. But uh, as far as a movie... Uh, I can't think of another film that has left me so devastated at the end of the film. I'm not going to give it away, but it is a film where afterwards you feel sick. Uh, and it's not violent in any way, shape, or form. It's just about how truly the most terrifying monsters that exist in the world, uh, they are not crazy psychopaths, Richard Chase showing up at your door and trying to drink uh, your baby's blood. They are very, <laughs> they're very normal, usually sociopathic people in the world uh, who want nothing but to do things to you to fulfill some kind of a fantasy that they have in their head. And so I highly suggest watching uh, this film uh, and hang in there. It's, it, it, it might seem like it's one of those movies, like it's not really going anywhere. Trust me, it's going somewhere. And when you get to the final destination, you will be shocked and appalled. And I highly, highly, highly suggest watching uh, the film The Banishing. From 1988, they, they did an American remake of it, right. which is absolutely terrible, uh, in my opinion. But I know some people that like it. But uh, definitely check out The Vanishing from 1988. It's, I can't think of another movie that just so utterly devastated me at the very end. Yeah, this is one of a slew I was imbibing 
around the same time, you know, uh, Manny's dog or uh, what's the other one that, you know, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Right, like, uh, right. Uh, Man Bites Dog. Yeah. Yeah, Man the Bites Australian. Dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it did not do well for my mental state around that no. time. Get through no. those dark corridors of imbibing this stuff. Uh, this one, yeah, this one spooked me to the core. Absolutely. Um, I thought we could share a trailer for it. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure if it's in Dutch, but it doesn't matter. I don't think. <laughs> so let's try. Je m'appelle Raymond Lemorne. Je suis sociopathe et claustrophobe. Je n'ai jamais trompé ma femme. Mais je m'empresse de vous dire que pour moi le pire, ce n'est pas tué. Vous êtes un euh, menteur. Menteur Non, je ne veux Non. Oui Et euh, je, je veux... Euh, 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 Vous avez violé Saskia. Si, elle est morte. Et si l'homme qui voulait savoir, c'était vous. Brilliant. Yeah, it's it's actually a brilliant trailer too because yeah. it really doesn't yeah. give you much. No. Which all the best ones don't. They certainly um, don't. But yeah, it's actually kind of revisiting that trailer. Uh, kind of creeped me out a little bit just kind of remembering uh the different aspects of it it's like oh people yeah you just have no idea what's what's coming with it so. yeah it's it's one of those films where in in a strange way i was somewhat reminded and we could probably talk about this but uh we don't have to but the, the there was a film called irreversible by Casper oh of course yeah. yeah which is a movie first. where the first <laughs> The first 30 minutes of the movie are absolutely punishing. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, and then it actually ends on a very nice note, but uh, this movie, The Vanished, it ramps up to an ending, which is, it's, it's, it's unexpected, but expected, and it's just a hell of a ride. So I highly suggest this for a, for a spooky movie that uh, that's, the spookiness comes from human depravity in its yeah, most benign form there are people out in the world who are absolute sociopaths who are very normal and they just want to involve you in their life and their fantasies and you will have no idea as to why that is and so that's incredibly frightening to me it's also too like this the elasticity of uh how dire just quick mistakes can be too i mean this obviously this is a sociopath but I'm just reminded every day of how horrifying just a bad choice yes. can be, yes. you know, 
So e- yeah. Each and every choice affects the quality of your life for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. So please have a watch The Vanishing. It's it's a it's a five five stars, five star film. <laughs> He's got four thumbs up. That's right. This one. <laughs> Uh, so I tr- I thought I'd try something new. We're on the movie kick. You know, it's around this time. I'm I'm kind of unabashed about my love for for horror movies, even, you know, the most kind of uh, silly ones, maybe even passe. You know, the Halloween franchise is one that I hold dear. Yes, even Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Okay. Uh, uh, but I... I... Uh, I'm often reminded, though, of kind of the the touchstone of where a lot of these films come from. And it was a 1970s film called uh, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And Great. it's actually loosely based on a true story about the, the moonlight or the, yeah, the moonlight murders in Texarkana in the 1940s. Yes. Incredible and, story. Yeah. Incredible it's, story. It's, you know, it's Zodiac levels of, of harrowing, but, yeah. you know, even more so because it happened in such a tundra of a short time yeah. and just these senseless murders. And so in true 70s fashion, you know, they give a narrative to it and you have, you know, an aggressor who wears a bag on his head, not to be confused with, you know, Jason Voorhees and Friday the 13th part two or whatever, but he he's called the phantom, right? So this is the kind of their first foray into like this mass killer um idea uh why i wanted to show this too is because you know i have i have uh well i have present company that isn't too fond of the dark you know travesties of man so when you're able to kind of in uh investigate these emotions within the narrative of of a goofy sort or of a you know an old nostalgic sort it's it's fun to have that (laughs) you know weave through um but i'm going to try something a little different so instead of playing the trailer uh there's a song i've been working on uh and it's it's it uses the term the town the dreaded sundown it's not really based on the song uh or based on the film but it's uh it coincides a bit and the song is may or may not be part of the uh, magical sigil we're doing, the Audiomancy sigil that's coming out. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely one of uh, it's a cachet of things that ever since I came back from my trip, I've just been like you know radiant with ideas and and back to music. And so I thought it'd be cool. And we I just tried this today to sync the song or the demo. And it is a demo. There's still a lot to be work to be done, but there's, uh, yeah, Don Wills is in the 1974 version. Thank you, genocide. Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done with the song, but I thought it would be cool to sync the trailer with the with my song. Um, so this is going to be a <laughs> an, an experiment. I saw it once, and it kind of syncs up pretty creepily. So we're going to try this. Do it. <laughs> All right. Let me see here. It's a juggling game at this point. All right. Share that. Boom. Let me know if you hear it. 
That's amazing. <laughs> I uh, yeah, cut it off. It doesn't, you know, it's not the right amount of time. And also, like I said, it's a demo, but I thought it'd be fun to uh sync those. I don't know where it's funny, you know, like I said, this this season is is very um very rebirthy, not a word, but you know, very uh, regenerative for me. Yes. And uh yeah. it's it's something I, I can easily pick out thoughts and and ideas that you know are kind of emanating all around me grab them and do something and with that i just started writing a song the other day that was you know the town that for the town that dreaded sundown it's finally dawn and i was like holy shit i forgot about that movie that's a great movie <laughs> yeah you know that so. was that was the film that literally that film and uh night of the living dead started the drive-in movie theater oh yeah like that those two films um specifically uh, being the video store employee that i mm -hmm. once was other interesting fact if i can just derail for a second the movie poster for the the town that dreaded sundown was uh it's one of the most brilliant movie posters of all time but yeah. the ar artist of it his name uh, is ralph mccrory mm -hmm. and he's an artist and uh, it was that movie poster that uh, caught the attention of one George Lucas. And he got Ralph to do all th for all three movies because there's only Storyboarding three. Storyboarding and concept art. Yeah. So 
everything that you have in your mind visually for Star Wars came from this artist, Ralph McQuarrie. So every came single- from the town, the dreaded sundown. <laughs> exactly. So so there you go. So if anybody's uh, wondering my movie store cred, uh, that's just an example. So well, it's funny, you know, and I know this too because of course I do. But uh, you know the uh, what was it like the CG Star Wars Rebels, all of that they mm-hmm. blatantly used the Ralph McQuarrie designs like yes. to yeah. his yeah. aesthetic degree. Yeah. So he's still getting pumped for it, you know. Yeah. I hope I hope he gets kicked back as much as Lucas does. Uh, he passed away, I believe. Right, but you know his lineage. Or whatever. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that song, Keith. That was that was great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. There's still a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, it was around this time. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, this is you know this is an anniversary for me. You know, Mary and I came together really on a full moon. Uh, right be- the two days before Halloween and had our first, you know, proper date on Halloween walking Lone First Cemetery or around Lone First Cemetery. It was closed, nice. uh, but it was a cemetery that we used to go to all the time. So it's it's a uh, it's a very important date for me. And this year we have the full moon on Halloween that we do the big blue moon. So yeah. I hope to use it, you know, uh I hope to use it and take get the most out of it as magically, especially as I'm kind of traversing through a bunch of, you know, to use the word again, detritus yes. in my life. So. Absolutely, <laughs> fantastic. No, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to what happens uh, when the when the full moon comes. Oh yeah, <laughs> this last one was a little rough. Um, yeah, rough in a good way, as they usually are. But yeah, there's got to be some lycanthropy in in my blood or something, because absolutely, yeah, I get uh, I get real weird through those <laughs> magnetic waves. Yeah, perfect, <laughs> wonderful. So what you got, Mister Bachelor? So I've got to do another film. Uh, this time Ooh. it's a documentary, and it's called Cropsy. Oh God, yeah. So. There were stories of a certain area of Staten Island, New York, of a, uh, a man or a demon or an alien that would uh, kidnap children and uh, do horrible things to them. And it was an urban legend. And what was interesting about Staten Island at the time, uh, this was the late 80s, uh, sorry, uh, late 70s to um, mid 80s was uh, there was a insane asylum on Staten Island called Willowbrook. And it was basically everything that you could think of as an insane asylum. They would they had so little funding that they would just have the patients out in the open in the hospital uh, smearing feces on the wall and any horrible thing that you could imagine was happening there. And strangely enough, um, Willowbrook was shut down after an investigative journalism uh, job done by none other than Geraldo, um, yeah, Geraldo Rivera. So uh, they shut it down and they thought that uh, some of the patients, um, they just went back into society and were doing horrible things. Now, the reason I bring this up is that um, not shortly after uh, a small girl went missing. Uh, just like actually a a series of children went missing and they found this gentleman 
that they uh, that uh, went to trial for this the the disappearance of this little girl, the disappearance and murder of this little girl, and this documentary goes through the urban legend, through Willowbrook, through the murder trial, and to try and talk with this man who was charged for this murder. It is a wild ride of a documentary, and it's I was I wasn't expecting very much, and it absolutely floored me. And to just go back to the psychopaths that are around you, um, this gentleman who was charged for the murder is very definitely insane, and mm. uh, there's there's pictures of him uh, doing the. Um, uh, the police walk down the stairs from the uh, from the courthouse, and he's he's drooling. There's video footage of him at the trial, and his eyes are it's like he's on seven different kinds of methamphetamines. Uh, but the documentary is one of those swings where where urban legend becomes uh, truth, basically, and it is one of the best documentaries I think I've ever seen. It's 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 up there as far as spooky documentaries. I, it was either a toss up between this one and um, Resurrect Dead, which is about the toy oh, yeah. tiles. Great documentary, but this one, uh, this one has more um, spook in it. I'll just put it that way. It's got a, a, a hefty amount of spook, and it's just unsettling. Um, again, the monsters around us are really the the most uh, scary thing that we have on Earth. But yeah. This yeah, this one lingers. I think it has a lot to do, if I remember correctly, uh, just kind of about state funding too. <laughs> like, yeah. didn't they yeah. didn't they, they yeah. shut down the asylum and he only knew to just go back and live in this abandoned place that he was in, right? Wasn't that part yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't not to turn it into a political <laughs> argument, but you know, yeah. people need help. Well, it was and people need help from people that need help sometimes well it was it was the mid 80s right and when reaganomics started hitting they just uh, they didn't have funding for it so it was like they closed this hospital there was a huge uh, kerfuffle um that's a canadian word i don't know if you guys know that word. oh yeah we got it okay cool (laughs) um but uh they locked it down and it was literally just um the the workers left and they put locks on the door and some people picked up some of the uh Inma- uh, inmates or the patients and some were just left there so yeah. it's it's just the horrors of 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 the real world are on display in, in cropsy definitely check out cropsy so friend brandon young in the chat mentioned it's belchertown street state Pit prison oh is that where he ended up i'm yeah, guessing okay. that's that's not the asylum, but I'm not sure. But the asylum's uh, Willowbrook, yeah. Willowbrook, yeah. which if you could ask for more of a spooky name, oh. you know, please do. And it's uh, still around, and of course the kids go in there and they they freak themselves out. But uh, at one point the the camera crew goes through, and it it's everything that you can imagine a insane asylum, an abandoned insane asylum to look like. That's it, right, right there. So the annals of your deepest and darkest nightmares. So and with that, let's watch a trailer. Absolutely. About 15 buildings here have been abandoned 
for quite some time. They did a lot of searching for the kids here. Specifically for Jennifer and I believe Holly Ann. Growing up on Staten Island, Barbara and I had often heard the legend of Cropsey. You're supposed to have a hook, an axe, and a knife about this big. Cropsey was the escaped mental patient who lived in the tunnels beneath the old abandoned Willowbrook Mental Institution, who would come out late at night, snatch children off the streets. I have never, I would have never guessed there were the, the amount of weirdos living on Staten Island. There might be somebody on your block. There might be somebody you work with. You know, here's this guy going around picking off these kids. I can imagine how other parents, even if your kid's gone for an hour, I can imagine how they must feel. You know, that's probably the, one of the last things that you ever think about, that somebody would take your daughter. It seemed like everywhere I went, there were people out in the woods looking for that little girl. It's no question. If we were going to find her, we definitely were going to find her. She thinks we're picking at dead children's bones. We just want closure on these, that's all. What was that? I heard something. Look down there. It's scary because we have a boogeyman living on Staten Island all those years. That image forced a lot of people to say, that is the killer. There's no reason for him to exist anywhere else, you know? other than jail. We had the same questions that you're asking me. Why did he do this? What set him off? It's sort of like putting a puzzle together. You know, he likes to be the center of attention, the keeper of the secrets. So I think it'd be great if you could speak for your What if we just do audio? Safety, I will not go. Do you think they're all around us? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I think he's possessed. I really think that he is demonized and possessed. Yeah, that's a uh, let me put on my video here. Yeah, that's uh that's one that's definitely it, it got stranger as it lingered with yeah. me. Yeah. Um because I think it's it there's something uh like brutally western about this idea of a of an abandoned asylum and you know the old urban legend of the guy with the hook, you know, yeah. that escaped yeah. the asylum and yeah. is hanging on the door of the car, the you know, the couple on lovers lane. Absolutely, like, and to have it personified, you know, to it's almost like being spoken into an existence, you know, which I worry. And it comes back to the, you know, the uh, uh, the Robert Jampers, uh, King and Yellow, the whole like, you know, talking about, you know, these writers kind of speaking these things into existence, you know, maybe. Maybe we should do due diligence to talk about lovely things. I agree. <laughs> just not this month. Just not this month. Not this month. Well, not ever. Let's be yeah. real. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, is there, I can find a jovial attitude when it comes to the macabre. I can, yeah. I can absolutely, you know, there's a fascination there. It's not a fascination with the end of life so much as the journey of what comes after. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? I um, so with that, though, I think it gets conflated a lot with pain and artistry. And, you know, people conflated a lot with an obsession with death, which I would disagree. It's more of just an obsession of being outside of the self, mm -hmm. you know, so. I find that... Um, I I wouldn't, would I say that I'm obsessed with death in some, some ways? Yes. But uh, my obsession of for death some way bolsters and embiggens, that's not even a real word. Um, I like it though. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it makes my zest for life 
grander, I think. It's, it really is a journey. And if, if you travel to certain areas around the world where there is a great deal of ancestral veneration and not just in a, uh, we're going to observe this holiday, but as it is a part of life with ancestral altars, um, they do view it as, as a wonderful journey and such a natural part of things going on in, in their life. Um, it's, to me, I think, I'd say that we have it wrong just in the fact that uh, we, we see it as the, the best thing that we can say is it's the end of suffering, which is true, but it's actually the beginning. And yeah. I don't know if that's true though. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, in, you know, in all of my studies, especially with, you know, the Bardos of the afterlife and the Tibetan book of the dead and all of this. And uh, funny, I, you know, I tweeted the other day that like, I do literally keep dreaming that I wake up in the dream and it's like, fuck nothing's changed it's just got a new face yeah. which you know is comforting in a way but also very much you know an exorcism of belief that you know there's a sweet hereafter you know which i hope there isn't honestly i hope that you know my ghost continues to work and i hope it you know it punches through and punches through and it keeps because that is the zest of life for me you know the um I can just say this, and hopefully this isn't controversial, but through the studies that I've done, as well as through um, my uh, magical schema, death is not the end of us. It right. really is not. And you could say, well, it's just the memories of something living on. It's more than that. There is a residue of us when this mortal coil has been um, shuffled. So uh, and that's why I tell people, you know, it's, it, it might sound a little bit gruesome, but uh, if you want to see the reality of spirits uh, quickly when starting out in practical magic, uh, try necromancy. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it really will. Um, and it will be scary at some points. But uh, when you start having very odd things happen to objects in and around your house, it's things like doors locking that shouldn't lock, mm -hmm. like deadbolt doors locking. There's something to what's going on. And uh, I can just say that, that, yeah, if you want to see that spirits are real, try necromancy. Yeah, I mean, I, and you could even start with ancestral magic. You know, yes, absolutely. Uh, there's been yeah, there's been a lot of cases uh, in my life of the preternatural seeping in. You know, obviously, I think you're just your ears are tuned to it, you know, especially with working in these divine ordinances, you know, that is magic or whatever. But there's something still so shocking and and unsettling to you know couple it with you know, you're being touched from another realm yeah. or whatever i i even hate to use the words realm or not mm -hmm. it, it sounds just like a pseudo intellectual way of saying you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> yeah. that or the, the parallel universe that lies on top of us infinitely yes yeah. absolutely but nope um try necromancy that's all i'll say i love it and this is the month to do it i mean yeah. growing up in the barrio of you know southwest america um, you know, Dia de los Muertos is a, is a big deal for me. Um, mm -hmm. I work with uh, Santissimo Muerte. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, for a while now 
And I got a funny little anecdote, actually, when we were on our trip. So I kind of bring a little figure of her with me. So resin figure. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when I travel and I, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, we were, we're staying in uh, Mary's family's living room and I kind of had it hoistered, you know, near the, the head of where we were sleeping and her younger brother, who is, he's a, he's a brilliant guy and I actually really love him dearly. So this, this says nothing about, my consideration of him as a person but he was very taken aback by it he's like what yeah. what is this you know is this like a satanist thing you know and i had to describe like you know although she is a rebel saint you know she is the saint of death the saint of change of perseverance of you know of yeah. of keeping on keeping on so that was a really fun discussion to have with somebody that uh, through another lens would look at it as if it was macabre right. and to me this is not macabre Macabre itself is a loaded word. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would agree with you. Macabre to me is just the, uh, you know, the the banal evils of yeah. man. That to me is macabre. What's more macabre to me is the idea that when you die, nothing happens. And everybody through 30,000 years of direct experience with lost loved ones and other acquaintances is completely disregarded as either people being mentally ill or for societal concerns or to any explanation it, that to me is macabre that to me speaks against something that we've done for as long as we've been conscious um, that's that is disingenuous to who we are uh, we know that we love these kind of things and we know we love this season and to try and mask it by putting on masks and trick-or-treating which is cool i'm all for it but to just allow a certain couple of days of the year no that's not enough not enough that's macabre to me is this rational scientific way of trying to just get rid of 30,000 years of direct experience through across cultures. It's just that to me is become to consider something, the great equalizer yeah. and not give it its due diligence is absolutely. an absolute travesty. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's do another one of yours. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so this is, um, oh, let's see here. Well, let's talk about a book called uh, asleep. By, oh, right. yeah. by uh, Molly Caldwell Crosby. So what happened for a period of time from, I believe, 1908 to about 1927 was a mysterious epidemic. And most of you would say, well, it was the Spanish flu. No, there was another epidemic. It was called uh, the Sleeping Death or the Sleeping Plague. It killed millions of people over this from 1908 to about 1927. Uh, what were the symptoms were basically, they could be a number of things. One would be that you would just go to sleep and you would stay asleep and then eventually you would die. Or there would be other people who would uh, couldn't sleep and they would just stay uh, awake and then they would eventually go mad and die. But if you got this uh, disease, what really happened were three uh, 
um, outcomes. Death, um, long sleeping, and then waking up to enormous brain damage or um, being in a coma for a long period of time and then waking up and having to deal with it while so many people around you have died as well. So it's uh, a book that as you read it, you start to understand just how um, crazy something like this is. And I have a, a small anecdote. I was in school with somebody who uh, I believe it was grade 10 and they weren't in my class, but they were in the same grade and they got this disease uh, or this, this uh, whatever it was, this epidemic it's, it's called, um, Oh, uh, encephalitis, uh, encephalitis, lacedonia. Oh, sorry, not lacedonia. Uh, I, I, I forget the actual uh, technical term for it, but uh, uh, lethargica, uh, uh, that's what it is. So uh, forgive me, but... Very familiar uh, with that one. <laughs> <laughs> but she literally uh, went to sleep and she didn't wake up and she just died. And for a period of about three months, my mother would make a point of coming down to my room. And while I, before I was coming to sleep, knock on the door, and just say, I love you. I love you. Good night. But there was no rational explanation for this, this person's death. They had no heart defects. They had no brain hemorrhage. They just died in their sleep at a very young age. So uh, as mysteriously as this thing came up, it just went away. And uh, the cases of it actually occurring, uh, it's called EL. Uh, they're not as frequent, but it still does happen. So when you read this book asleep, uh, it is not a book to read before you go to bed, because uh, if you are scared of death, um, it, it is one of those things where, yeah, people do just go to sleep and they never wake up. And uh, I, I highly suggest this book. It's a, it's a great nonfiction book. It reminds me of that, you know, mother's need to just randomly walk in to see if the the infant is breathing. You yeah, know? yeah. Like it's just that tumultuous time and early life where you know mothers are just kind of driven by this need to, <laughs> you know, yeah. ensure that the body is functioning correctly. But if if you yeah if if there's no rhyme or reason, I I've lost friends to aneurysms. You yeah. know, I've I've lost friends to. Uh, numerous amounts of things, but always definable, always yes. an understanded, you know, stasis. So yeah. this, this went around the world and there was no poor people died of it. Rich people died of it. It just mysteriously, all of a sudden people just went to bed and never woke up and they couldn't explain it. And to this day, they can't explain it at all. And uh, yeah. So if you're scared of death, this is a, this is a, a great book to to read to really freak you out so it wasn't a, yeah it, yeah it's very unsettling honestly but at the same time like you said if you're afraid of death which i am not you know as a matter of fact if there was a way to go that would be the way to do it that would be the know? way to do it yeah yeah for sure <laughs> but uh highly suggest this book it's 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 um it it ha it brings in personal stories of people that were affected by it uh specifically you know just somebody coming home and then they're uh they're their mother doesn't just never wakes up. Right. Like that's right. That's yeah. just it. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really quite, uh, quite, quite scary and quite shocking. And what's more shocking is that uh, it's no longer an epidemic where 
uh, hundreds of people in every uh, country were dying every month of this thing. People still do die of it, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's not as frequent as it once was. It's probably left over that barter from Moses, you know, with the first borings. It's just, yeah. It just happens all the time. So. <laughs> there you go. I mean, have, have they really investigated almost like kind of unnatural uh, tethers to the deaths? Like, could no. it? Yeah, they, like is they, it is it the firstborn of every family? You know, well, it might have something to do with my last suggestion, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, my last book suggestion will might shed some light on on this kind of thing. All right, yeah. I dig it. Well, I wanted to do one. It's a modern one, and it's a it's an artist, and I wanted to kind of wax about you know fine art a little bit. Actually, there's two. Sure. We'll give we'll give a quick honorable mention. Uh our dear friend Eric Millar. Yes. Uh the great illustrator, you know, the my my one of my uh favorite compatriots of of just creative endeavors. Uh he has a pantheon of wonderful books to check out under these uh I guess you call it a pseudonym, but it's more of a you know, a house which is outlet press and I was combing through this the other day and I wanted to talk to him about it. I hope to have him on next week to talk about uh, specifically comics in the occult mm-hmm. uh, comic books, which, you know, I think we're all nerds about, but uh, this is a, uh, an outlet press uh, published book. I'm not sure if you can still find it on Amazon. I'm one of the lucky folks to kind of have all of, not all of them, but a lot of the stuff that he's printed, but if it's not, he should reconsider printing it again. And it's called ghostly progressions. Nice. And he has this, you know, I think one of the, the biggest words, especially if we're talking about you know, the, the, the confluence between life and death is that, that tether that makes them the same in a way. And mm-hmm. ghostly progressions is a book where it's, See if I can do this. No, I can't spin it. But it's uh, it's these beautiful illustrations of the metamorphoses of, you know, different ghostly apparitions and doing fantastical things. Uh, listeners might, well, listeners would know Eric, um, but those of you that that don't, he's done an incredible uh, bibliomantic oracle called the Disruption Generator which you should check out. But I think more so just for the advent of just fun, uh, spooky shit, you should definitely check out Ghostly Progressions by Eric Millar. Um, I love it. Uh, I swear to God, he's gonna, he's gonna be the writer that I show my kids. If I ever have kids, you know, when they're, when they're young, cause he, he tackles these kind of, absurdist ideas of of dark things but in a brilliant i don't want to say rudimentary there's nothing rudimentary about it but in a very uh layman way for you know someone of a young age to really imbibe so yeah um eric millar uh hope to have him on next week but uh yeah please check out outlet press uh ghostly progressions it's just a fun little spooky book um and with that, I wanted to talk about another visual artist, uh, this guy, John Carling, who 
I I think I I knew in passing in Oakland when I was living there for quite some time in the art scene. And he, I, I think I've been begging him to create album art for me for at least a decade. I absolutely adore this guy. It, it was never a hard no or anything. It's just, you know, one of those communications that get lost in the, in the kerfuffle. There you go. Uh, <laughs> it's the word of the day. I love it. But, uh, John Carling is, yeah, he's, he's working on something called the traveling witch and it's very Edward Gorey esque, but modern. There's a lot of, there's a lot more, you know, magic to it and meaning, you know, with a K there's a lot more, uh, references to, uh, actual ceremonial magic and, and creating, but it's these beautiful pen and ink illustrations that would make people that are fans of Aubrey Beardsley, you know, stoked. They would make, you know, Edward Gorey fans. It's almost like a great marriage between those two. And I was trying to find him. So I, I kind of put him on blast on Twitter. <laughs> so if you follow me on Twitter, you've definitely seen, um, seen his work because I adore it. Um, but I thought I'd just share some here. And you can catch his Twitter handle. It's just at John with no H Carling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so he's working on this traveling witch. And it's there's something. So he's, he's done these animations. I was trying to find him earlier where he animates them. And it's just like this, by the way, I need to be. Holy shit. My next record. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I even put it here. Can you please illustrate my next album cover? I'll give you my firstborn. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's amazing. Um, I was trying to find, he does these really beautiful little animations where he'll illustrate and then have him move a little bit. But he also reminds me of Marcel Zama. Are you familiar with Marcel Zama? He's a Canadian. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, he does these. Uh, I think he did like an album cover for Beck and stuff. So he's gotten some acclaim, but he it's it's this new kind of deconstructionist pop art, you know, where there, it's just so um, individualistic and just the the pen strokes that really get me. Um, I'm gonna see if I can. Oh, my keyboard's sticking. That's great. Uh, I was going to see if I can find one of these animations. Here we go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but it's just should be celebrated especially you know if you if you're a seasonal person which i don't think douglas and i are i think we're permanent autumn folks yes uh permanent autumn but if you wanted to visit and to, to really celebrate this time of year john carling uh for sure it's just yeah it's just one of my favorites um I, I might just, you know what I might do? This sounds kind of opportunistic. I was like, maybe I'll just do the thing with the music I did with, you know, the town that's traded <laughs> sundown <laughs> well, and just animate one of, give music to one of his animations. No, that's, I would never do that. Um, not without permission, but yes. yeah. So it's just beautiful little artistic renderings. 
I don't know. It's it's that like I said, it's that avenue of Edward Gorey where it's it's spooky and and dark, you know, proto Tim Burton kind <laughs> of stuff with it being romantic and 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 just kind of lovely. Yeah. So wonderful. Anyways, that was my my fine art share. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love it. So what is next on your list? How many more do you how how many more do you need? Let's do yeah, let's do one more of yours and we'll uh we'll wrap it up. Okay. So <clears throat> unless you want to do two. I'm, I'm, no, I mean, no, I, I can do one more. I think I I, I was gonna suggest something uh but uh, people were willing to check it out if they really want to. There's two things just real quick. Um, one, there's a, a Channel 4 documentary about the Enfield Poltergeist. And if you've never mm. heard about the Enfield Poltergeist, uh, this documentary is incredibly unsettling uh, because they talk to um, the kids that were involved and they have video uh, film footage of uh, stuff happening uh, in our house, particularly when Janet starts talking in voices, which is still to this day, like it just, freaks me the fuck out because it's nearly impossible for her to make those noises but um what's a that one's a bummer for me because i remember that you know she was all caught up in kind of the fanfare and she did yeah. fib something but she that did. fib yeah. didn't mean that everything else that happened was fake correct so she got completely lambasted that the whole yeah. thing was fake but that's yeah. that's not that wasn't the case absolutely not but uh, definitely check it out you just go to youtube type in enfield field pent uh enfield poltergeist channel four it should come up it's wonderful uh there was also a documentary called the afterlife investigations about the skull experiment which is probably one of the most incredible parapsychological experiments done of all time if you like mediums or spiritualism you have to read that book or watch the documentary the afterlife investigations but uh, my final pick is going to be uh, something very odd and with what is happening in the world today and I'm going to try to uh, couch this so I don't get into any kind of trouble. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Charles Fort. He has this idea of what are called damned facts. So in any situation where something large is happening in the world, I tend to look towards information that doesn't sit properly and it is available and it is there. So uh, uh, Charles Fort to me represents uh, one of the greatest ways of keeping myself sane, as well as investigating things that are happening. Because a lot of times when major world events occur, uh, we get stuck up with what is actually going on or what we're being fed. Whereas I tend to look at small little strange bits of information. And that's just the way that I am. I read Charles Fort since I was, 12 years old the, the the book had the word damn in it and it was in my school library so when i was young so i had i had to i had to read it and i've been a fan ever since he's he's a, one of my heroes without a doubt uh, so with that in mind i think we have this problem uh, and again i'm not saying that there's this is an explanation for anything that's happening in the world right now but this is indeed some strange stuff uh, back in the day uh, specifically um, 1,500 years ago, uh, the Chinese were very um, wary of any time meteorites were seen in the sky, specifically large comets or meteorites. They said that they would bring illness and death to everybody around them. And we have this thing where we said, where we say, just like with 
with ancestral veneration that because it's old, it doesn't make sense or these people are dumb. What they have are different complexities of culture and societal values, and it does not mean that they are wrong. So the next book that I'm going to suggest is a book called um, New Light on the Black Death, the Cosmic uh, Connection. So everybody's explanation as far as the Black Death, we all know it. I know it, you know it. Keats, what's, what's, the, what's this, uh, the, the short summary of the Black Death that you've been told? Uh, just a, uh, uh, I, I don't even know how to put it in words. Just a, a an indomitable, mm-hmm. uh, plague. Yes. How is it yeah. spread? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I remember that, you know, I, did they, I guess it was through air, right? No, it was through rats. That's correct. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. It was through rats. So some of the damned facts about the bubonic plague, there was there was a couple of them. There was the one I believe in 1504, and then there were uh, there were, or sorry, the uh, yeah the uh, the 16th century, and then there was one in the sixth century. Uh, what's strange about the bubonic plagues, at least these two bubonic plagues, is that there are damned facts where there are areas which did not have any rats whatsoever, and people were dying. Uh, specifically places like Iceland where there were no rats because they cannot survive because it's far too cold. Iceland lost two thirds of its population to the black death and there were no rats there whatsoever. Well, it was, do you think it might've been spread though to, you know, the shipping? Very few like, shipping uh, going through at the, t- that the time. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, this book goes into the fact that this plague didn't only affect human beings, but it killed livestock in animals, and uh, this writer by the name of, his name is uh, Mike Bailey, I believe. Uh, he is a archaeoecologist, and he was looking at older pieces of, of wood that had been around for more than a thousand years. And he saw that there was a ridiculous amount of radiation in the rings of these plants. And they also did ice core samples for that time. And there was a great deal of radiation that occurred there as well. Now, the thing that connects to all of this is that the bubonic plague made everything sick. Plants, animals, if you had life, you were going to get sick and died. It's just the symptoms of the bubonic plague to humans was different than that of the trees and whatnot. So it's his conjecture that uh, a meteorite for some strange reason, the debris that came down from the meteorite uh, and the radiation make people ill for this bubonic plague. And it's a heck of a thing to, to look into uh, because for some strange reasons, when there are, even including the, uh, the Justinian plague, they were talking about meteorites passing right before everybody got sick. So it's uh, in one of the, in this day and age, since again, I'm not, trying to explain what's happening in the world in any way, shape, or form. But it's one of those things where we'd like to think that the Earth is a closed system because we see rockets traveling through the atmosphere and they all flame up. But we do know that certain particulates can survive. Uh, We are a much more open system than we'd like to think. And through things like radiation and interstellar debris, who knows? Could that be a reason why people get sick or have gotten sick in the past? So this is a, it's a crazy read. It's really the, the way that he goes through how not just human beings got sick, but everything got sick is mind blowing. So it's a wonderful book. 
So what you're telling me is a meteor didn't give a normal person and one of the earliest black cinematic superheroes, Meteor Man, his powers. No. <laughs> but killed him. Yeah. But you want to know you want to know what ties back to uh, the sleeping sickness? Ah. So what happened in 1908 when the sleeping sickness occurred? What other major weird event occurred in 1908? Was that the influenza? Spanish no. Flu? Well, there was that as well. But uh, Tunguska, meteorite in Russia. Oh, yeah. See, I couldn't have pulled that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, one of course. The, yes. <laughs> one of the largest meteorites that ever... Uh, that, uh, that we know of, that blew up before uh, it, it hit Earth. It probably had a huge amount of debris that went absolutely everywhere. So the Spanish flu and also the, uh, the EL sickness that people were dying from, from sleep. 1908. So these are, these are damned facts. Doesn't mean that they're true facts, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. People are lighting up in the comments. I, I, I sent the uh, link. Uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, space wants to kill us, basically, is, is what we're coming. The Black Death comes from the stars. Well, it's, <laughs> it, it is very odd because we, we tend to privilege uh, human sickness because that's what we're concentrating on. And, of course, when we have places like uh, Venice where four-fifths of the population died, but we also don't want to look at the fact that livestock died, pets died, trees were dying. The Black Death was all-encompassing. It was death all around. So we, we do know that there is transmission between certain diseases, um, anthrax being one of them. But uh, anthrax doesn't kill trees. And uh, so, right. yeah, so it's a, it's a very odd thing to think about. Again, damned fact just I, I tend to look towards these really odd anomalies and this is for as far as a book that really made me go huh every page this is one of those books and also terrifying at the same time yeah so you've just basically grown my reading list exponentially yeah. so i appreciate that no worries it's gonna take me 30 years to get through everything i'm supposed to read but uh we'll get to it no i'm just kidding i'm i'm yeah, I'm excited. I, it's weird to say I'm excited about something that's so uh, harrowing, yeah, <laughs> and revealing. Well, um, do they do they tie it to anything uh, more uh, prescient? Like, no, he doesn't. He he tries not to. Uh, he I don't believe he brings him to Tunguska and the the sleeping sickness as well as the the Spanish flu, mm -hmm. but. Um, it, it's odd when there are a large amount of people dying from uh, an illness. Uh, a lot of times it's presaged by uh, a pass by of a comet or a meteor or a large meteor shower. It's, it's very strange. So Philip Blair in the comments said that the Spanish influenza was 1918, to which I will now forever reply, yes. caused by the meteor. Yes. <laughs> so correct, 1918. But the, yeah. uh, the sorry, the the EL, the sleeping sickness, started in 1908. Right. Yes. 1908. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I can see. I can see all the, uh, you know, the red string. Yes. And the in the 14 times. You yes. Know, cut up and placed everywhere. No, I love Charles Fort. Um, yeah, he was one of those like Art Bell or. Yeah. Hell, I was even going to bring Alvin Schwartz yeah. into it. Uh, that 
you know, were very uh, influential to me as a kid. I need to, they, they keep up the 14 times, right? They do. It's, I mean, Charles Fort would never right. really signed off on it. You <laughs> would have thought it was Pablum, but that's just him. They just, yeah. Cause it's, it was always more of a, a collection of, you know, just uh, hacking his ideas. Well, just uh, UFOs and these kind of things, but uh, well, no, like the hollow earth and yeah, there's some good articles. I, I'm not yeah. subscribed to it, but yeah. But uh, remember Omni? Omni was my, I, I loved Omni. I yeah. absolutely loved Omni. Yes. Yes. It's the greatest. Omni and uh, Mondo 2000. Uh, str- I did, uh, I did courses with uh, Ken Goffman through the Holy maybe, shit. the maybe logic Academy that uh, Bob Wilson set up. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I always think of, yeah, uh, Mondo 2000 is my like true, uh, you know, birth into cyberpunk right. culture and everything. Right. But yeah, Wonderful. Uh, well, I spoke about Alvin Shorts earlier. You know, I wanted to end it. As you can see, whoever's watching my thumbnail was Stephen Gamble, the, uh, the, I don't know how to put this, the conductor of nightmares uh, ever since I was a kid. And I loved every minute of him. <laughs> The illustrator of the scary stories to tell in the dark series, the best, uh, which the absolutely best. You were talking about, you know, Dan was in the title, so he yeah. picked up the book. I got caught stealing scary stories to tell in the dark from a book fair when I was in second grade, <laughs> and so it did nothing but made me just revel in it more because it, I knew that my you know, my kind of conservative mom at the time uh, wouldn't go for it. So I had to hide it. And obviously we didn't have any money or anything. So I got caught sticking it down my pants Nice. Uh, as a kid that's just absolutely enveloped in Stephen Gamble's art. And I could, we could just go on all day. We can bark uh, about how absolutely. incredible just these, these collection of folkloric stories, especially Alvin Schwartz's, you know, uh, Timber and writing and collecting these things. Um, But I wanted to talk about a documentary. It came out recently and I don't want to talk about the scary stories to tell in the dark uh, adaptation they did, which surprisingly wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but still just doesn't do the collection of books justice justice. But there was a documentary that came out and uh, it was actually one of my first Twitter friends was uh, the people that, uh, Compose the documentary because um, this, I mean, it, this is like I will, my kids will be immersed if I ever have kids, they'll be immersed in these books uh, as, as, as a, as a way to X hex uh, common misconceptions about, you know, the, the darker drab of death. These were fun and beautiful and haunting, scary, yes. you know, they, it, it hit all of the spectrum of what it means, you know, to, to, as a people to, to deal with death. And so there's a document that came out. I think it's great because to me, Alvin Schwartz was always a, he never did interviews. He, he never, you know, I had a couple of his other more straightforward um, folkloric books. Uh, And he, he was just always this very curious person to me. And I never really, before the internet, even after the internet, never really got the chance to investigate 
who this curator of nightmares mm. was you know is it still one of the most banned books in the u.s like it's uh i don't know I think it's I think it's up there like for libraries for public libraries it's maybe one of the most banned books in America. To me like the marriage of Stephen Gamble's illustration and the stories itself yeah it Absolutely. would send it yeah. would send evangelists into a <laughs> blind rage like yeah. there's no way this book works and you know the 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 darkest swamps of you know America but yeah. um uh, sorry, Jonasai says the scary story that I loved and helped me make me look at the left-hand path was bearskin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. these uh, these things always open something. But I was really excited, and it was this past. I think maybe it's even two years old. I'm not entirely sure. I guess I could tell you um, that no, it's a it's last year, last April. Uh, there was a trailer that came out, and the and you can find the documentary on Amazon Prime, and I highly recommend it. Um, it's got beautiful uh, illustrations, like Stephen Gamble's uh, illustrations come to life. There's also these wonderful little animations in between. But most importantly, it gives Alvin Schwartz a personality and a person. Mm -hmm. And as someone that has looked up to him for so long, and as a writer, like to, to put a face to the name and to actually have some persona, like personified. Right. Uh, that, that's some hack writing right there Ayo. but <laughs> but to, to have it you know, to have him finally come to light uh has been amazing and if anything it'll get you excited to read these stories again so i thought i'd share uh the trailer for scary stories the documentary about scary stories to tell them the Part of Alvin Schwartz's brilliance was that he took all these old folk legends and made them readable for kids. And I think that's his particular genius. That book was talked about on the playground. There's something a little off-putting. But that's why it's so fascinating. You had to sign up a couple weeks in advance if you wanted to get them. Everybody knew these stories. And it was always a subject of dares. Like, I dare you to check out the book. Parents and teachers in a Seattle suburb will vote next week on a plan to ban three books from an elementary school library. Those who want to get rid of the book say they're just too gruesome for young readers. There is a horse that is grotesque, it is misshapen, it is disproportionate, it has a human eye. Growing up, I never really saw the Scary Stories books in light of them being widely banned. I just saw them as stories that my grandfather collected. He was the number one banned book author, and he just loved that. Children have a, a need to master the fears that they have in their life. So they kind of give readers a taste of the darker side of humanity. I always found it interesting that these books were challenged because we don't discourage students from reading Greek mythology or Robin Hood. I finally got the courage to check out the book myself, <laughs> carrying it home in my, in my backpack and feeling like it was burning up. Wonderful. <laughs> it doesn't do the document. See, that would 
what I would be consider uh, what I would consider as a bad trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does give some insight. One of the most fascinating things about it, and I think that we're both within this group is the legacy of these yeah. books and what it's done to us artistically and otherwise. I remember every instant of where I first read those books and it was my uh, neighbor, but not really a neighbor. I lived out in the country, but, uh, but uh, he had these books and because I lived out in the country, I had to take about an hour and a long uh, hour and a half long bus ride into school. And by the time I catch the bus, it would have been <clears throat> six in the morning to get to school for about 7.30. So it was still dark. So we'd be sitting in the back of the, uh, the, back of the school bus and uh, we'd just be going through these books when the sunlight is just starting to come up. And I loved them. They were terrifying. They were just the greatest thing on earth. They really were. And to this day, they're just such wonderful books you know i think that folks like us or maybe just there was no real touchstone I, I would almost assume that we're kind of born uh into the fascination with the macabre or whatever yeah. i mean i i even in all my understandings of trauma and mental health and everything i i still don't think you can conflate just the pure zest and interest that comes from these things and these Absolutely. books were just can if I, anything just gifts you know can i share another gift and uh this will be my last little share absolutely this is a book called witches pumpkins and grinning ghosts now i don't know if you can see it it's pretty warped uh -huh. uh, this has been through a flood in the house where i lived out in the country uh our house flooded and this book uh, got pretty badly waterlogged. Uh, it's a story about Halloween symbols, and it goes through skeletons, through skulls, through witches, through black cats. It's even got the witch's Sabbath with a ridiculously beautiful um, artistic rendering. It's all black and orange. Mm. Uh, every year around this time, I read this book. And um, I, this is an interesting note to, uh, to just say there. If you have children... The folklore in here that goes through Stingy Jack and how jack-o'-lanterns might have come to be a thing to, yes, the witch's Sabbath, demons, skulls, and the fact that skull, uh, demons are, or skeletons and demons are far more scared of you than you are of them. Um, it is a great book for children. And it's, yes, it's Witches, Pumpkins, and Gritting Ghosts by uh, Edna Barth. And she has one for... Uh, St. Patrick's Day, Christmas, but it just goes through symbols. And if symbolic language is magic, which is, I truly believe right. symbolic language is magic. Uh, for, a, for a child, it doesn't get better than, which is pumpkins and grinning ghosts and scary <laughs> stories to tell in the dark. Absolutely. If you give those to your children, they will be raised to be as well adjusted as Keats and I. I'll just put it that way. Whoa. Well, let's let's not raise any children to be as well adjusted as me. But Douglas, on the other hand, <laughs> I'm still learning. But they were, you know, they I had a lot of nightmares growing up. I had a lot of I had a lot of preternatural experiences. I, I was in a gate when I was a kid. And I remember offhandedly remarking to the teacher that, you know, I had 
a paranormal experience. And then she got obsessed with me and she would have people come by and interview me and talk about it. And I had to bring in my mother. Like it got to a point where it was so distressing both to, you know, feel this or have these inclinations or these, uh, you know, these, these uh, experiences to it being kind of a uh, kitschy, not a kitschy, but you know, more like a uh, dog and pony show kind mm-hmm. of idea. And so these books help me, you know, they help me travel through or traverse through uh, those experiences. So you, yeah, you, you were sharpening your axe. That's what these. That's what these. Right. Uh, these stories are. They're 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 sharpening your weapon for what was to come later on. And uh, depends on how you want to view the universe. Whether it's everything that will happen is has already happened to time being an arrow it doesn't matter these things and our interest in them are so beneficial to our survival and i do think that children need to be scared oh yeah Uh, i i think that children need to have uh, terrifying experiences as much as we want to protect them um you are doing them a disservice by keeping them away from such ideas as death and ghosts and and spooks and vampires you are they it's it's so ingrained into who we are as 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 a as a people and as a culture it's it's there's no such thing as a universal but a fascination with uh darkness is 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 it it really is if i was allowed to celebrate these things when i was a kid i think mm-hmm. i would have an, an analogous uh uh, ease with yeah. guilt because right. i think a lot of it is guilt you know it's this fear especially in religious households especially in you know uh very strict kind of upbringings you know like you, everyone's striving to be better than death and if you strive to be better than death you know that's that's against or i'm sorry if you don't strive to be better than death but strive to understand death it's almost like you're you're putting yourself up against the idea of of regret and of yeah. guilt, yeah. you know. So I think having yeah having these notions, having these ideas come at an early age and celebrated, would have certainly caused me a lot less strife yeah. in my world. So yeah, I was lucky to have parents that knew that I was uh, spooky, different. I mean, I never did the dressing up as a goth or anything like that. Right. But, but my my parents just fed me books on on ghosts and UFOs and and absolutely everything strange and bizarre. They they fed it to me and uh I love my parents deeply, but they they knew that there was something not off, but just uh that I see a darkness and they they knew that it was more beneficial than it was harmful. And uh, bless them for it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, here I am living it out now. Can't ground me now, mom. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, my father was always great with it and is, is still continuously open about it. But yeah, it was definitely a sharp contradiction yeah. uh, between how I was raised. But that's my life. Contradictory. And what's more contradictory to life than yeah. death? Or no, actually, I don't even see it's contradictory. No, no, it's part of the same thing. Yeah. One of these days, you'll have to have me on, and I'll tell you about uh, my what my family did on Halloween that was so unbelievably special. But that'll have to be a little bit of a teaser. Uh, I might do a Patreon episode about it, but um, 
yeah, my my family did something very special for Halloween, and uh, specifically my father, which is uh, both epic and an example of great parenting uh, for for kids. Uh, we did because we live in the country, can't go trick or treating. Trick, it would it would be a three day ordeal if we had to trick or treat around houses. So we did something very specific and special. And uh, but uh, that's a story for another time. I love it. Can't wait yeah. to hear it. Yeah. You know, as uh, as America burns and many more ways than one, as you know, someone that lives in a place with looming winter as such as yourself, yeah. you know, having you on to really celebrate uh, the that transition. I, I couldn't have asked for a better companion during this. So thank you so much, Douglas. No, this is Keats. I asked me to come on the show anytime. I love talking with you. You always, you always make me laugh. You make me smile. And, uh, and I love your stories and, uh, it's just a great time. It's, it's honestly some of my favorite times, uh, when I get to talk to you. I love it. And you sent me a bunch of links. If I didn't put any that was in the chat for those that want to know, uh, I will make it, a point to put them in the show notes at a later time. Those of you listening, because I hope to put this as an audio podcast as well. Uh, you can't tell, but I'm wearing a very goofy mask right now. And that's your fault for not subscribing to me on YouTube. Uh, in other cases, no, I'm excited. Uh, this is the inaugural weekly live stream. I couldn't ask for a better thing to celebrate with a better person. Yeah. So this yeah, this this was just fantastic. Thank you so much, Douglas. Uh, no problem, and uh, I'll I'll come back anytime you want me to. This has been so much fun. Well, let's do it. And as we say in We the Hallowed, and it's a little bit more appropriate now than ever. Uh, haunt on. Haunt on. <laughs>